Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. It was good to sing and to pray uh, together this morning. Uh, Today's sermon has two central propositions, uh, two main points, a negative one and a positive one. So we're going to kind of start out with these propositions. We'll go through the text and we'll maybe hit them again at the end of the message. First, uh, negatively, you win the toughest battles of life, um, neither by your family fitness, nor by your physical fitness, nor by your financial fitness. Let me explain what I'm getting at here. These all three are good things. We want our, our families to be fit. We want our families to to love God and and love one another and outdo one another with honor and and serving each other. We want fit families. We want our bodies to be be healthy, to be be fit. We want to eat good food and and to work hard to to exercise. We want to be financially fit. We want God to bless us financially. And if we're biblical about his financial blessing, that would be so that we could be generous and Bless the poor and help those who are needy. That's what we see um, in his word. So these three things are all good things that we want, but they are not going to get us through the toughest battles in life. You win the toughest battles of life through your trust in Christ alone. And this is what we have been seeing in the life of Hannah in chapter 1 of the book of 1 Samuel. Her faith and confidence and trust in the Lord. She didn't know about Jesus yet. He has yet to come and, and die on the cross and be raised on the third day. But she is in a covenant relationship with the Lord. And her radical God-centeredness, her faith and trust and confidence in Him are what got her through these massive and difficult battles in life. And so we come to today's text where she rejoices, where she composes a a hymn, a psalm, a, a, a worship song, if you will, and she praises him. So let's get into that right away, and then if you weren't here the last week or two, as we, we go through this, I'll summarize a little bit what's going on here, but hopefully you have your Bibles open or your devices open to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Let's take a look together at verse 1. It says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. For I delight in your deliverance. So if you, as we, let's pause here for a moment after verse one. So if you got the sense here, I mean, she is, uh, can I use the word stoked? She is stoked. She is just full of joy and confidence. You know, her, um, her enemies have not gone away but she has been delivered. She has found salvation. 
not in the sense of justification by faith alone and what Christ has done, but she has found this closeness and intimacy with God that her depression and her discouragement and her day in and day out existence where it seems like God is a far away away has disappeared. She has been delivered. She has been delivered so strongly, look at the middle of verse 1 again, that her mouth boasts over her enemies. So her enemies are still around. Those who are out for her, namely one named uh, Penina, you remember her? We'll, we'll talk about her in a moment. She does not have sway over her mind and her soul and her heart anymore. She is rejoicing. This is her song. This is her prayer. Notice in, in verse 1, it says, at the very beginning of verse 1, in the Lord my horn. Now, if you're like me, that's kind of a strange expression. We don't uh, use that expression. And so in ancient Israel, this horn would be referring to uh, the strong antlers or horn of an animal. And they were familiar with this as a metaphor for talking about the strength of God. This is what has seen Hannah through these toughest battles in life. So, would you like to see a picture that has absolutely terrible colors on it of me by a giant beast in Israel that has a big horn? Would you like to see that? Say yes. Say yes. So, this is a goat in, um, in Israel called an ibex. That's me. And they're pretty tame. I think this is in the wilderness. I think it was actually looking for a handout or whatever. But just look at the horn of this thing. And this is... The metaphor, if you will, in verse 1, about the real strength that Hannah, who has been struggling for years and years and years, she now feels the strength of God in her life. And her mouth is boasting, and she's full of joy, and she has been delivered from the depression, from the discouragement, from all of these things. So that horn would have that imagery. As far as this whole unit of Scripture, verses 1 through 10 goes, um, throughout church history, this has been called the Magnificat because it principally magnifies the name of the Lord. Mary's prayer in Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55, is also called the Magnificat. That's what most of us are probably familiar with, but this is too. And Mary's prayer echoes Hannah's prayer. And if we had um, several sermons on this, or we were studying this in a classroom study or a Bible study, we would take a look at that prayer of Mary's as well that actually quotes this prayer. But it starts here just with this great confidence in the strength and in the power of God and what he has done in the life of Hannah. So, if you haven't been here the last week or two, what has she been delivered from? And those of you that were here uh, let me just remind you. In fact, let's go back and look at verse 6 of chapter 1, 1 Samuel 1, 6. It says there, that because the Lord had closed her womb. So this wasn't because of something Satan had done. This, had done, this isn't some medical disease that, that is just separate from God's sovereignty. God had closed her womb. Her rival, that is uh, Penina, her husband's second wife, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Verse 7, this went on year after year. 
So year after year, she has no children. Her husband marries a second wife who has children, Penina. That wife is irritating her and provoking her, and she is depressed, and she is discouraged, and this has gone on for many, many years, and she has finally been delivered from all of this because of the power of God. And so, this infertility, this, eight, this hateful family member, the infertility ended with the birth of Samuel. We looked at this last week and the week before. But beyond that, in addition to that, God answering that prayer, God has become so close to her. And she's experienced this spiritual breakthrough in her life because of his power. This, this might be a moment for me to ask you and for me to ask myself, do you believe in a God who has this kind of power? That you will stay with him year after year after year of infertility in a culture where she, where a woman's identity is in having children and she has none. And then her husband marries another to have children and she has children and that woman tortures her. What I'm asking you is, do you believe in a God that you could continue to seek year after year after year with this miserable existence and trust him for a spiritual breakthrough? This is how we should be thinking as we read this text. And she has experienced that breakthrough and she has expressed his power and his greatness in this song, in this hymn. I mentioned it in the sermon a couple weeks ago, but there are a lot of parallels not only with, with Mary's prayer and Mary's Magnificat, but there's parallels with Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The theme in this particular stanza is related to the theme in this chapter. I want to just look at it together on the screen and think about these words. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Hannah did not confide in her own strength or in her family fitness or in her financial fitness or in any of those things. Her trust and confidence was in God alone and it went on for year after year after year. She was not relying on her own strength. The hymn goes on, We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing does ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He, the Lord of hosts, His name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. He must win the greatest battles in your life, in my life, and that is what he has done in Hannah's life. This little uh, phrase here, a name for God, Lord of hosts, is the way this version of the hymn has it, comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 1. The first places, and I mentioned this again two weeks ago, that God's name, that's translated here, Lord of hosts, in the NIV, it's translated Lord Almighty. If you look back at verse chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, And she made a vow, O Lord Almighty. That could also be translated Lord of hosts. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh Tsebaot. It is speaking about that. This name of God is speaking about his incredible power that is available to you and to me and was available to Hannah. So she begins in this first verse acknowledging his strength and power as she is full of joy. How do you and I win these 
difficult battles in life, some of them go on for years, well, part of it is believing in his, is having a sincere belief that his power is available to us, even if it doesn't seem like his power is working in you for years and years and years. Specifically, what did she do? Again, we've looked at this the last couple weeks. She is a woman that prayed, and she is a woman that fasted. What did she do year after year before God blessed her with a son, which is what she wanted so desperately was a child? Before that happened, she is praying and she is fasting for years and years. This is what it looks like. This is what she was doing because she believed in the power of God and that she would one day experience a spiritual breakthrough. Now, As followers of Jesus, you may or may not be aware that he assumes that we pray and fast. He assumes that you and I pray and fast. He tells us what not to do when we fast. When you fast, do not look gloomy. (laughs) Um, Don't go around like all depressed and haughty and spiritual all combined. You're discouraged because you haven't been eating but you're letting everybody know that don't do that. Go about life normally when you fast. Don't look gloomy. My point in bringing this up today is not to instruct you about not looking gloomy primarily, but to remind you that our Lord Jesus assumes that you and I fast and that we pray. And this is exactly what Hannah did for years and years with no sense of spiritual breakthrough for a long time. And she persevered in doing this. Fasting, of course, is the voluntary absence from food for a spiritual purpose. And her spiritual purpose was, number one, she desperately longed for children. And she desperately longed to see the power of God in her life and to feel confident and secure And she eventually got to that point. And when she got to that point, she composed this song, this hymn that is there for us. A sincere belief in his power available to us. This is all out of verse 1. Let's come back and look at verse 2. She says in verse 2, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one like him like Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. There is no one besides you, God. There is no rock like our God. Church, I want to ask you this morning, if you can sing that, if you can pray that, if you can, if you can take verse 2 and make it your own words, do you know that there is no one like him, that, there is, that he is so awesome, so powerful, that powerful is available to you, that your family fitness, your financial fitness, all these other kinds of fitness, that they are nothing compared to the power that is available from him because he is so incredible, that power is available to you, he is able to deliver you, there is nothing like him. So what I'm trying to say, church, is that this is where we need to be. I'm not expecting every one of us here this morning to say, that's where I am. I hope that's where you are. We had a prayer meeting this morning, a brief one before we came in there. 
It seemed like one of two of us, I didn't ask this question, but it seemed like one or two of us would be like, yeah, that's, that's where I am today. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a good headspace. I'm with God. He's with me. I'm ready to go. Most of us, maybe not. We weren't quite there. So what we need is a longing in our hearts. One way to respond to this text, to this sermon, is for you to say, God, would you give me a longing so that I can say and even sing you know, you might want to sing in the shower if your voice is like me or in the car when you're alone. Um, you might want to sing in certain places, but the real issue here is that your heart would sing about his incomparability, how beautiful he is. Might you, if you're not there, long for that today, right now? The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 84.10, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better than a thousand days in Yosemite Valley with the sun shining and the waterfalls pumping. Better than a thousand days at Lake Tahoe is one day in your courts. Can I say that? Lord, help me to say that and mean that. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I was thinking about paraphrasing uh, that, that phrase, tents of the wicked. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of the phrase or if you've been on, on Lake Tahoe or have heard of the term, an, an incline village there, what they call Billionaire's Row. Any of you been on the lake and, and taken a cruise by these, these homes where these billionaires, mostly from the Bay Area, have bought multiple parcels and they've built homes that are like many times the size of this building and they're just incredible, incredible. Can I say... Uh, the tents of the wicked are, 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 are kind of like that. I'm not saying everyone in the Bay Area is wicked. You, 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 you're with me here? Not everyone in Silicon Valley who makes billions of dollars is wicked. But that's kind of what the, the sense is here. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in these incredible tents that people who are, who are using injustice to get these incredible fancy tents, that's how many lived in the ancient world. I would rather be a doorkeeper for him than in those tents. Hannah has a sincere belief in the incomparability and beauty of God. So I'm talking about how we are going to win the most difficult battles in life. We see how Hannah did it. She had this radical God-centeredness where she fasted and prayed for so long. She had this sincere belief in his power that it's available, even though for many years it doesn't seem like it's there. And then she also had this belief in his magnificence, in his incomparability, in his, in his just awesomeness. It wasn't the more typical things that got her through. It certainly wasn't her husband that got him through. Her husband loved her very much. In fact, her husband, Elkanah, he loved her more than he loved his second wife. And he made that really clear. Uh, we looked at this again a couple weeks ago, but let, let's look at it again if you weren't there. Or just a refresher. It wasn't her husband or these other things that got her through. It was her relationship with the Lord that sustained her and got her to the spiritual breakthrough. Remember what her husband said? I'm looking for it here. Yeah, I'm in chapter 1 in verse 8. So her husband would say to her, so the scripture, notice that, would say to her. This is like a typical thing that he would say to her year after year as she is depressed and downtrodden and discouraged. Hannah, why are you weeping? 
Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I hit this two weeks ago, but I'll hit it again. So here is a a loving, well-intended husband who doesn't have a clue on how to communicate to his wife. It wasn't through family fitness that she makes it through these times. It is through her radical God-centeredness and her trust in the Lord that sees her through. Let's come back to our text here, verse 3. She says, Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. So what is she getting at here? Well, one thing I think that she has in mind is her husband's other wife, Penina, do not keep talking so proudly. This is what she was doing, what uh, the, the rival wife was doing. But I think also she is preaching to herself here. All of us have this human tendency to let our mouth speak with arrogance and with pride and to be self-focused. And Hannah has learned that a follower of God is not to go in that direction. She is longing for personal humility. She is saying to herself as well as to Penina, uh, Penina, as well as to you and to me, the Holy Spirit and Hannah are warning every reader of Scripture about our thoughts and expressions of pride and self-focus. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. God knows what is going on. He knows our deeds. He knows our thoughts. And so winning the battles of life, the biggest battles, involve a longing for personal humility. She didn't have access to Philippians 2.3, but it says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The follower of the Lord, God is calling us to have an orientation instead of looking at ourselves and a self-focus that we have a focus on others and we count others, including those who are a nuisance in our lives, as more significant than ourselves. It is completely counterintuitive, but she has made this discovery, and this is how she is able to rejoice and write and sing this hymn of praise. A self-focus is totally natural, and it's spiritually deadly, and she has found a way to look to others, and she has found a place to see God is great, and herself is very small. So that's verse 3. Then verses 4 through 7, we see five uh, pairs of, of comparisons. And we're going to look at these in just a moment. They're called uh, merisms. These are merisms, expressions in which two words on the extreme ends of a scale are used to express everything on the whole scale. And the whole point of this is to show God is sovereign over all of this, all of her life. He was sovereign over the closing of her womb, and he's also sovereign over the bringing of uh, Samuel, her first son. So let's look at each of these briefly, verses 4 through 7, these five pairs. So in verse 4, the the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. She's giving encouragement here to those like her through most of her life She feels like she is stumbling, and she does not have strength, and she looks around her, and it looks like the rival wife has strength. 
it looks like others have strength. But over time, after prayer and fasting, there has been a shift where the weak has become strong. And so she is reminding the careful reader here who has this experience that the bows of the warriors are broken, those who have strength. Her rival, rival wife has been shooting bows at her year after year as they go up to Shiloh and worship. And the, the strength of those words have now fallen flat as she's experienced the spiritual breakthrough. And she has been given strength, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. So this first one is the strong and the weak. Look at verse 5. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. The idea here is many wicked people prosper and they become rich. And what has happened over time, God will bring justice and they are hiring themselves out for food. But those who were hungry, hunger no more. Those who were hungry, who know God, will be filled with hunger and water that we never need to thirst for again. She is reminding those who are weary that God is with you and things will be restored. So we have the strong and the weak, then we have the full and the hungry, then we have she who was barren has borne seven children. Seven children is a metaphor here for like the, the perfect number. Hannah herself ends up having six children. In fact, if you glance over at chapter 2, In verse 21, it says she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. That's in addition to Samuel that we looked at last week that was born. So she has six children. So seven is just the expression of, I'm now full. God has given me what I have longed for. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has had many sons pines away. The rival wife who had been gloating and full of pride is now struggling because she has not been living the God-centered life. Her joy has come from her so-called family fitness that hasn't satisfied. So we have the strong and the weak, the full and the hungry, the barren and the fertile. And then verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. So here we have the dead and alive. God is able to literally raise the dead, to connect this with the New Testament and the gospel. Christ Jesus is our example of someone who suffered, who had immense pain, who had immense trials, and out of love for us, he did this. We've already rehearsed the gospel in our confession, but then he is raised to life. That same power is available to his followers, and this is a reminder for those who are feeling dead and discouraged that he will bring to life. So we have the dead and alive, and then in verse 7, we have the humble and the exalted. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. This is a reminder for those who are just barely making it check to check those who, are, who are, are looking at others who are prospering and are feeling discouraged, that God will one day exalt you as his follower and you will have no more needs and no more financial issues. The primary way to find satisfaction in life is not through financial fitness, although we want that, but it's through a radically God-centered life that is focused on him. And so he is reminding us of these cycles in life. And then he goes ahead and and um, brings out this, this uh, humble and exalted 
when it comes to wealth, he then explains more of that in verse 8. Let's just take a look at it. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, and he has them inherit the throne of honor. And so this great and hope-filled expectation for those who are following the Lord. So winning the greatest battles in life, what we are looking at through all of these pairs, these merisms, if you will, is a sincere belief that injustices will be made right. Hannah, for most of her years, has been experiencing massive injustice in her life. And, and she has realized not why, the question why hasn't been answered. Why did she have to live this way for so many years? Why did the Lord have to do it this way? Why, should, why couldn't she, he have raised up Samuel without the years of barrenness, without the struggle? We don't really get answers to those kinds of questions, but we see clearly that God did it, and God sustained her, and God is powerful. So this is a, a, a chapter and a song and a hymn that is just filled with hope, and that hope is in the Lord. Now, as we connect this passage with the New Testament, it's important that we connect this passage with the New Testament so that we don't think that we're always going to get what we want. Hannah got what she wants, a, a, a child, and ends up getting a, a whole household of children. Uh, we'll see that in the coming weeks, probably next week. As believers, we should not take away from this chapter, we need to read this in light of the New Testament, that we don't always get what we want in this life. Sometimes the Lord answers our prayers with, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. But one day, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Hannah had a limited understanding of the new heavens and new earth compared to what we have in the New Testament. But this whole passage points to that. So, a sincere belief that injustices will be made right is part of, of the theology of what is going to get us through the toughest things in life as we seek to have a radically Christ-centered lives, life ourselves. I want to finish up today just looking at, um, look at, jump to verse 9 with me. In my translation, it says, it is not by strength that one prevails. We could paraphrase the end of verse 9 by saying, it is not by my own strength. It is not by my financial strength. It is not by my, however strong my marriage or my closest relationships are, it is not by that strength that's going to help me prevail. Ultimately, what is most important, what is going to help me prevail is the strength that God gives. He gave it to Hannah. He's going to give it to the future kings. Drop your eye down to the end of verse 10. He will give strength to his king. That's where we're about to go in the coming weeks. To his king, eventually King David, eventually King Jesus, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. This is a passage about the strength and power of God that is available to you. And my prayer is that our hearts would be able to sing and pray a song, a hymn like this. Let's bow our heads together and ask him to help us to have this kind of God-centered faith. Father in heaven, we know that the faithful prevail when our trust is in Christ alone.
Lord, there are a lot of good things in our lives, and sometimes we make the mistake of putting our trust and confidence in those good things. We pray, I pray right now, that for for us here who, who love you and seek you, God, that we would have an incomparable view of how great and glorious you are, and we would rely on you in a way that we rely on nothing else. And I want to pray now, especially for those who may be in a season of years of struggle, of suffering, like Hannah, who could say for many, many years, my life is not going the way that I want it to go, and you seem distant, God. My prayer for those who would say that with Hannah, that they would seek you in prayer, that they would fast, and that they would believe that you, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus, will be able to deliver them and bring spiritual breakthrough so that they would be bursting with joy as Hannah was bursting with joy as she wrote this hymn. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.